Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. Today in the studio. Hi, this is Jordan Peterson. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be exacting. The book is quite complicated, and many of the sentences are composed of multiple clauses, and so learning how to stress the clauses properly so that the sentences revealed their sense required a lot of attention and care and taught me a lot more about the musical element of language. I wrote this book as a consequence of being obsessed, I would say, with the insanity of the Cold War. It struck me in the 80s, and I suppose in the late 70s, that the fact that Two armed camps had appeared in the world, each of which was poised to destroy the other utterly and themselves at the same time was a problem of such paramount importance that nothing else was worth thinking about. And I was trying to answer a very difficult and timely question as well. The Eastern Bloc, let's say, the communists had erected their societies within the confines of a particular viewpoint of the world, a particular narrative, and The West had done the same thing using a different story. I was very curious and genuinely curious because I didn't have the answer at hand before I started to write the book. I was genuinely curious about whether or not these were just two arbitrary narratives, which is a postmodern question, I would say. Maybe there's many ways you can organize your society so that it might function and the differences between them are arbitrary. Or maybe there are genuine constraints in the way that a society can be organized and one side has it more correct than the other, let's say. And that was what I was trying to figure out. Was what the West was doing something merely arbitrary, or was it founded on principles that were in some sense transcendent, fundamental? And I suppose the same thing might be said for the Eastern Bloc, although I had my suspicions about communism already, given its murderous history. And so that was why I wanted to write the book to understand the foundations of the two different worldviews. And then also, I believe that if you understood something and it was a problem, then you could solve the problem, that that was actually the measure of your understanding. And so I was also trying to determine what might constitute the solution to the problem of conflicting narratives, let's say. And so that was the impetus for Maps of Meaning. And I do believe that I did, in fact, answer both of those questions to my own satisfaction. And by that, I mean that I was obsessed by the Cold War when I started the book, but not so much when I finished, because whatever part of my psyche was responsible for the obsession was satisfied with the answers that I generated in the course of my exploration. And I've taught what I learned to students ever since, and that's been 30 years. And I would say that the information that I learned and generated had the same effect on my students as it had on me, which was a kind of existential calming, that's one way of thinking about it, and also an uplifting of genuine, non-naive hope and optimism. So that's a good outcome. Narrating my audiobook was challenging. I wouldn't say more difficult than I expected, because I knew how difficult a book Maps of Meaning was, and I knew that narrating it would be extraordinarily challenging. And it was, partly because of the complexity of the material, but also partly because of the demanding nature of the content. I hadn't walked through the book 
in detail for some time, and you certainly do that when you read it out loud. I mean, I was trying to address the most difficult and, in some sense, horrifying questions that had perplexed me, especially with regards to the behavior of individuals in situations like the Nazi death camps and the Soviet gulags, and it was brutal to read it, brutally complex cognitively and also very emotionally demanding, as well as difficult from a technical perspective, but very much worthwhile, and I relearned things that I had once known but had, I would say, put in a corner of my mind that hadn't been accessed for a while. So it was extraordinarily useful to update myself, especially because I'm also going on tour for the next six months and having all these ideas at hand again. Well, the timing couldn't have been better for me, although it used up all my April. One of the difficulties was with regards to the complexity of the material. There's a lot of Latin derived mostly from Carl Jung and his writings on alchemy, but also names and places that are written in multiple languages. Although I knew how to read all of that silently, I didn't know how to pronounce all of it. And so there was a fair bit of effort put into learning the pronunciation of a very large number of very obscure words. One of the most interesting ones is syzygy, which is S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. It means a conjunction of opposites, essentially, especially divine opposites, male and female. And it's just one of many words that are obscure, worth knowing, but also not in common parlance and somewhat challenging to learn to pronounce. It's good to be reminded about how much you don't know, even about things that you've written. I'm excited about the narration for multiple reasons. The first is that I'm really hoping that it will make Maps of Meaning accessible to far more people, because it's a very, very difficult book. But I think that it's worth the effort. I'm hoping that it's worth the effort. It was worth the effort to write it. It's been worth the effort to teach it. It's been the basis of all the things that I've done publicly that I think have produced whatever level of interest there's been generated in what I'm doing. So it's the foundational text for everything I've done in the last 30 years, and it constitutes a synthesis of material that isn't generally synthesized, uh, neuropsychological material and mythological material, literary material, historical material, and so on. And reading it aloud, I think, makes it easier to understand because some of the work is done in intonation and so forth, which facilitates understanding. And it's also easier for people to listen than it is for them to read. So that's really great. I'm also excited because as an audiobook, it's going to be far less expensive than the text version, which was basically marketed as a textbook and priced as such. I'm hoping that it will reach a much wider audience. And I'm also excited because I'm curious, who knows what the consequence of launching the audio version will be. If I hadn't recorded my audiobook, well, who would have I liked to have done it? Well, of course, the person I would have liked to have done it more than anyone else would have been Carl Jung, because it's an extension of Carl Jung's work in many ways. It would have been very difficult for someone else to have read this book as an audiobook, I think, because an alternative narrator would have had to have the contextual knowledge necessary to understand the book at the lower levels of resolution, at the higher levels of abstraction, let's say. So it would have had to be a specialist in mythology and psychoanalysis, essentially, rather than an actor per se. So Jung would have been my top choice, as egotistical as that might be. When I was a kid in junior high, I met a librarian who had a great influence on me. Her name was Sandra Notley. 
She's actually the mother of the current Premier of Alberta, Rachel Notley, and I knew the Notleys very well. Grant Notley, who was Sandra's husband, was the Member of Parliament provincially for our constituency, and he was the only NDP, New Democratic Party, socialist member in Alberta, my province. In fact, the only member of the opposition for many, many years. And he wasn't elected by the people of my constituency because he was the leader of the NDP or because he was a socialist. He was elected because everybody knew he was a very good man. And Sandy was a bit of an anomaly in our community. She was New England educated and had that kind of brisk efficiency of the New England Yankee. And she was very well educated. And I got to know her when I was in grade seven, about 13. I used to hang around in the library along with my delinquent friends, oddly enough. I was reading a lot at that point. I read a book a day when I was a kid for years. But she gave me what I would regard as real books. She gave me 1984 and Brave New World and Ayn Rand's books, despite the fact that Notley herself was a socialist. She wanted me to be exposed to the stridently individualistic philosophy of Ayn Rand. And I read a tremendous number of very high quality books under her tutelage. And so that was extraordinarily helpful. It opened my eyes to literature at a different level of complexity. And I suppose began the process of my mature education. She was a formative figure in my life. I worked for the NDP for a number of years when I was a kid around that age, and she was also actively engaged in the junior high debating club, which was one of the places where I honed whatever ability I have to speak. An odd, idiosyncratic, chain-smoking, opinionated, well-educated, forceful, dynamic, and controversial person. It was very interesting to know her, and she was a very good friend of mine. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening.